When my parents made a tough decision to move to the U.S., they did it because they were looking for a better outcome, a better future. My parents had this hope that things will be better in the United States of America. If you're brown or white or any ethnicity other than black, your ancestors had most likely the same expectations as my parents, that they will be better off in this country. However, for the Africans who were brought here, it was a completely different type of experience that started in these slave ships in which they were treated like cattle. In a way, Given their circumstances, dying in those ships was some sort of a blessing in disguise because they would no longer have to endure a life of slavery in America. And I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted that life for their children either. While for your ancestors and my parents, the U.S. was a beacon of hope, for the Africans who survived the journey in those ships, it was like coming to hell. They would be worked like cattle all day every day for the rest of their lives. They would be beaten, raped, sold to other masters, and if they ventured to have a family, it was likely that their families would be torn apart through the slave trade. The white master could rape their female slaves, and it was perfectly okay under the law, because the slaves were their property. To the African slaves, America was never a land of hope, like it was for my parents and your ancestors. I don't need to tell you that the African slaves had a tremendous disadvantage as soon as they arrived here. The institution of slavery lasted for more than 200 years in the United States. And it started to come to an end when Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves through the Emancipation Proclamation on September 22nd of 1862. The Civil War had already started by then, and many African Americans fought for the Union. The estimate goes from 200,000 to up to 1 million freed slaves who had fought in the Civil War for the Union. Up until that point, these free slaves were not considered American. They had no rights. The Emancipation Proclamation and the victory of the Union's army meant that these slaves were finally free. But it wasn't until 1865 when the U.S. Congress adopted the 13th Amendment that slavery was made illegal. And then, on June 19 of that same year, the Union General Gordon Granger read orders in Galveston, Texas, that all slaves were free. This event marked the end of slavery in the USA. And then it took another three years for the U.S. Congress to adopt the 14th Amendment in 1868, which granted black Americans U.S. citizenship by effectively stating that, and I quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Close quote. 
The 14th Amendment also guaranteed due process and equal protection under the law for all people living under each state's jurisdiction. By the way, it is this 14th Amendment that Donald Trump wants to change to deny U.S. citizenship to the children of undocumented immigrants. But that's a topic for another episode. In 1870, the U.S. Congress adopts the 15th Amendment, which prohibits the U.S. government in each state from denying a U.S. citizen the right to vote based on the citizen's race or color or prior condition of servitude. And you know which party was in favor of protecting the franchise of black male voters? The Republican Party. It's really interesting to see how the parties have switched places with the years. Back in the day, it was the Democrats who were pro-slavery and didn't care for the black people one bit. And it was the Republican Party, the one which fought for the rights of black citizens because they deemed them important for the Republican Party's future. Now, the Democrats of 2020 are the Republicans of the 1800s. The lynching of black people started to increase after the Civil War. After the blacks had been given their freedom, many thought that the blacks had been given too much freedom and had to be controlled. Many times, black Americans were falsely accused of a crime, and this resulted in their death. The most popular way of lynching black people was by hanging. However, it was not the only way. Blacks were also burned alive, shot multiple times, or dragged by a vehicle. They were also tortured, and their body parts were sometimes removed. Oh, and, and by the way, black Americans weren't the only ones being lynched. Latinos, Italians, Jews, and even some white people were lynched too. However, black Americans comprised about 72% of the victims of lynching between 1882 and 1968. I wonder what Candace Owens would have to say about that. That it was understandable the black people were being lynched at a higher rate because it was likely that the blacks were committing most of the crime? That's what she seems to suggest nowadays when black people are killed by white police officers. If you were to look at the number of lynchings from the late 19th and early 20th century, would you be willing to say that all lives matter? I mean, it is obvious that all lives matter, but it is also obvious that the victims of lynching were mainly black. So it seems that on paper, all lives mattered, but in real life, black lives mattered little. The rights for black Americans had to be spelled out in the U.S. Constitution for the white population to even consider honoring them. Despite the fact that black Americans had these rights on paper, they did not enjoy these rights in real life. Black Americans fought bravely defending the American flag in the name of freedom and democracy in World War I, World War II, in the Korean War, and in Vietnam. But when they came home, they found themselves being treated as second-class citizens, even though they were equal under the law. And that's why they started to protest. Not to be above everybody else, but to enjoy the same rights that everybody else was already enjoying. 
it is under those circumstances that the civil rights movement is born. Black Americans had to protest to be able to go to the same schools that the whites went to. Take the example of Rudy Bridges, who at six years old was the first black American child who at to attend an all-white elementary school. The school board administered an entrance exam to black kids from Rudy's kindergarten class in an attempt to prevent black kids from attending a white school. Rudy, who was one of six kids who passed the test, was the only one who went to William France Elementary School. On the first day of class, she had to be escorted by four federal marshals because white people were outraged that their kids would have to go to a school with a Negro. As soon as Rudy Bridges set foot in the school, white parents pulled their children out. All teachers refused to accept Rudy in their classroom, except for one teacher, Barbara Henry, who taught her alone for over a year. And because Rudy had been threatened to be poisoned, yes, a six-year-old kid had been threatened to be poisoned, she could only eat the food that she brought from home. This happened in 1960, just 60 years ago. The Emancipation Proclamation was issued in 1862. Almost 100 years had passed since Abraham Lincoln had emancipated the slaves. However, black Americans were still not equally free in 1960. They also had to protest to use the same bathrooms as the whites and to be able to sit on any available seat on the bus. They protested to be able to stay at the same hotel as the whites and to be able to live wherever they wanted, not just in segregated neighborhoods. And finally, they had to protest to have the right to vote, even though they already had that right on paper and not on any paper. They had the right spelled out in the U.S. Constitution, but they still had to protest to be able to get that right in real life. All these things most Americans enjoyed without much struggle. But the black Americans had to take to the streets and raise their voices in order to be heard. And it wasn't an easy fight. It wasn't easy at all. There were black people who lost their lives fighting for their rights. And after the civil rights movement made significant advances in the fight for equality, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and murdered for daring to change the status quo. Now we have Candace Owens claiming that the black Americans have a victim mentality and that the white police officers are understandably afraid of black people because they commit more crimes than the white population. Oh, and what about black and black crimes, she asks. Can't we see that African Americans have been the victims of racial injustice ever since they arrived in the American continent? Can we for once acknowledge that they have been at a disadvantage even after amendments were made to the Constitution during the Reconstruction period after the Civil War? Instead of saying that they are pulling the victim card, let's recognize that they have been victims of racial injustice. Does that mean that all blacks are doomed because of that? Of course not. That's why we have successful black people in this country.
But can you genuinely say that it is just as easy for black Americans as it is for the average Caucasian, given all the disadvantage that they had? In the same token, white privilege does not guarantee that you'll automatically be successful. There's no absolutes on either end. But if you were to make a bet, say in Vegas, if you were to bet on the likelihood that someone will achieve personal, financial, and health success, can you genuinely tell me that the blackness will not be a determining factor? Can you genuinely affirm that color will not play an important role on the outcome? Claiming that, that it's understandable that officers are afraid of black people because they commit more crime is like saying that Latinos should be racially profiled, stopped, and be asked for immigration status because Latin Americans are usually the ones that cross the border illegally. It would be a violation of our civil rights if we were to be stopped and be asked for an ID just on the basis of being Latinos. If you think that's a great idea, I got news for you. The former Italian-American sheriff of Maricopa County, Joe Arpaio, who oversaw one of the worst cases of racial profiling in, the, in recent years, was issued an injunction from a federal court to stop singling out Latinos during traffic stops. He, of course, kept doing it after the injunction was issued. Because, you know, when you claim to be all about the law and order, you follow it, only until the law no longer works for you. Then you claim the law is unfair, right? Anyway, he was convicted of criminal contempt of court. He had to be pardoned by the president of law and order, Donald J. Trump, who claims to be all about upholding the law. But I guess that only holds true if, you, if the law is on your favor. What about black and black crime? Some people ask that, you know, that's an issue. Well, it seems that this question only comes up when a black person has been killed by a white officer. This question doesn't come up at any other time. Why? Because people asking that question don't even care about it and just use it as a deflector. Do you know who cares about black and black crime the most? Black people. Because it affects him on a personal level. Do you think a black mother ever said, I sleep better at night knowing that my son was murdered by another black man? Do you think that ever happened? Black communities, more than anyone else, want the perpetrator of a crime to be arrested and jailed, regardless of their race or color. And judging by the fact that black Americans are incarcerated at higher rates than any other race in America, I dare to say that when the perpetrator is black, the likelihood that this person will be prosecuted and found guilty is high. Asking about black and black crime only when a white officer kills a black person, who a lot of times is unarmed, implies that black and black crime is related to race. I beg to defer on that statement. I think black and black crime is most likely related to poverty and a lack of job opportunities. Also, keep in mind that there is not only black and black crime, but white on white crime too. Imagine this scenario. A black male kills a white officer during a traffic stop. A tragic situation. A horrific crime. 
Can you really imagine a black person trying to defend this crime by saying the following? But what about white and white crime? When whites kill another, other white people, I don't see the outrage. Can you hear how ridiculous that statement would sound? You know this argument wouldn't hold much water. Additionally, bringing up black and black crime when a white officer has killed a black person seems to imply that black communities are more prone to crime and that they only care about it when it's a white officer who commits the crime. Let me ask you this. Did you know that when the Italians began to emigrate to the United States, they were also accused of being prone to crime? That's also the same accusation that Donald Trump makes about Mexicans and Latin Americans and immigrants in general, that we are more prone to crime. Let me quote Rod Brunson, who co-authored a study about this issue in 2015 when he was the dean of the Rogers School of Criminal Justice. He said the following, and I quote, Concentrated poverty, poor schools, poor social service, All these create conditions where crime is disproportionately observed in minority communities. Crime isn't particularly unique to a racial group. Close quote. I think it's time we recognize that there needs to be a systemic change. The riots and protests that we've seen in the past couple of weeks are not only because of George Floyd's death. That was just the final straw that broke the camel's back. While other Americans enjoy equal protection under the law and due process, black Americans do not always have that same experience. If there were no recordings of such events, it's very likely that there will be no justice for black Americans. Even when there's a recording, it seems that there's little accountability for police officers who abuse their position of power and the protection that they receive under the law. They know that their word carries more weight and that in most cases they will be given the benefit of the doubt. These privileges should not be used as a weapon against minorities. Are there any good cops? Of course there are. My experience in this country tells me that there are many more good cops than there are bad cops. However, my experience did not and should not negate the fact that black Americans face a whole different reality. Have things improved since the civil rights movement? Of course they have. But let's not pretend that the civil rights movement ended racial injustice in this country, because it did not. If there wasn't a need for a systemic change, would you be willing to trade places with a black person? Think about it, and be truly honest. Would you be willing to trade places with a black person in this current environment? Trump is willing to sit down and have a conversation with King Jong-un, who's a murderous dictator who has eliminated rivals and even his own family members as a show of force. He's willing to listen to the Taliban, who are the perpetrators of numberless attacks on U.S. forces that have taken the lives of hundreds of American soldiers. But he's not willing to listen to his own fellow Americans, who are asking for equal justice, Instead, he's asking governors to dominate the streets. Tell me now that the United States of America does not have a problem of racial injustice. 
when the government itself is more concerned about the loss of property than about the loss of life, more specifically the loss of black lives. Tell me now that we don't have a problem of racial injustice in this country. My name is Luis and this is Community of Strangers.